listening to Cinema Spin. Hello again, everybody. I am Matt. And I'm Jason. And welcome to a new episode of Cinema Spin. We're back. We're back again. And uh, man, another week of movies. And man, no, and uh, it's rough yeah, out there. It is rough out there. But we're, we're making do. Right? Yeah, I mean, I did go to a theater and I did watch a movie. I guess that's the goal. Yes, right. That is the goal. Get you out of the house. That's right. I was the only one in my in my screening. <laughs> there were, there were a few people, and um, um I I checked I, I in mine. I went at uh, two forty five today, mm-hmm. and I was contemplating I uh, going to the twelve twenty, mm-hmm. and and I, I looked at the uh, tickets sold at uh, like twelve fifteen, uh-huh. and they had sold one ticket for that showing as well. <laughs> so it looked like two <laughs> two afternoon showings for uh, Studio Six Six Six, and a total yes. of two people were in them. So the the movie we're talking about is is um, Studio Six Six Six, and uh, the word the words come down. This movie's bombed. Um, it's has bombed it or bomb. has it? It has. But this is a niche movie. This movie is not for everybody. It is, but that would beg the question: Why is it theaters? <laughs> why does it exist? Uh, why is it in theaters? You know, why is it in theaters? That's a good. Why question. isn't it a bonus on a Foo Fighters concert <laughs> DVD? <laughs> So yes, uh, well, uh, okay. So you've but, said, uh, but continue. Yes, I'm you've sorry. said the f word, so we're going to get into that. So this is Studio Six Six Six. This is uh, a movie starring uh, the band, the rock band Foo Fighters. Um, also, uh, sort of conceived by their lead singer uh, Dave Grohl, um, very famous rocker. Uh, you know, started out as, in, uh, as a drummer for Nirvana. So, uh, so this is uh, inspired by true events. Um, studio, <laughs> studio Six 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 uh, is a horror comedy starring the uh, starring the rock band Foo Fighters and what happened when they tried to record an al- when they tried to record an album in an Encino mansion that is haunted. Um, legends say that 25 years earlier, a band called Dream Widow, I have all their albums, uh, tried to record uh, a record at the house, but the lead singer went insane, and well, Dream Widow was not the next Jane's Addiction. Uh, and I'll be damned if Foo Fighter frontman Dave Grohl doesn't begin to act very strangely when they arrive at the house. Horror ensues. Um, this movie was shot in secret and on the cheap in 2020 at the mansion where Foo Fighters had actually recorded their 2019 album, uh, Menace at a Midnight. Um, that's the basis for that's That's why it's based on a true story. Uh, there were no murders or uh, or demonic possessions uh, during the actual recording, though. Uh, Whitney Cummings, uh, Will Forte, Jeff Garland uh, make appearances in an effort to bring the comedy. Um, what did you think, Matt? Well, <clears throat> let me start by saying I my, I'm going to start with my my position on the Foo Fighters. Yes. I um, appreciate the Foo Fighters to a certain point. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to use the word fan because fan is, is comes from fanatic. <laughs> yes. And I'm extremely uncomfortable with that. Yes. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the Cardinals because I have yes. an unhealthy yes. obsession with things. Yes. Um, you know, f- that, the overuse in our society of, of fan, oh, fan kind of interests me because, you know, if somebody said, I'm a big fan of the Lord – you'd be like, oh, that's pretty normal. <laughs> but if you said, I'm a Jesus fanatic, you might take a step back or two, right? But yeah, they mean the same I'm thing. I'm a big fan of the Lord. That would, that, uh, we should put that on, on bumper. Right. <laughs> uh, they mean the same thing, but they, they kind of have a different connotation, so to speak. Yeah. 
And so I, I hesitate to use this. I, yeah. I'm not going to say I'm a fan of the Foo Fighters because I'm not a fanatic. And also, them. they're a band that have fanatics, right? They do. And I tend to like their earlier stuff more than I yeah. like their later stuff. But that comes, I think I did benefit somewhat by being pretty well versed in the makeup of the Foo Fighters. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the first hour was somewhat watchable. Yeah. You know, chuckle at a few things. There's a joke about uh, Pearl Jam High Five I thought was kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. There's some some, um, some, there, there's some inside jokes. There's some, some inside some jokes about you know, Dave n- coming up with music. his new song, and it's one of the old songs that have been around forever. Yeah. You know, sort of fan service type stuff. Mm-hmm. And I got a kick of some of that. And I thought the first half, I thought, you know what? This is stupid. Everybody involved knows how stupid it is. Mm-hmm. It's kind of fun. But the longer it went on... And it does seem long. I mean, it takes forever just for somebody to get possessed, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just too long. Yeah. If this um, had been an hour little lark, on a, like I said, on a concert DVD, yeah. it would have been a lot more fun. And that's probably what it was planned to be. And then it just snowballed into being a full-blown movie. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe there's a decent, like... It's probably a pandemic story here to where... Maybe there's like a lovable 30-minute uh, short film yeah. here that Foo Fighters fans would have... You really uh, loved, um, yeah. I mean, yeah. and maybe if you're a fanatic, you get more out of this than I did. Um, but I didn't get a whole lot out of it beyond that first hour, which I thought was okay. And after that, I just kind of just uh. I mean, it's it it's to, to be honest with you, it's no worse than a lot of the other horror crap that we've had to watch. Yeah, uh huh. But it's definitely no better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's um, uh, yeah. Rated on a horror movie, uh, on a uh, uh, low-budget horror movie scale, um, this is medium yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah. Me- um, and then you you add on top of that some uh, some some a couple of funny uh, co- uh, comedians and and you know the the thrill of seeing some uh, you know Foo Fighters try to act. The- um, uh, you know, the, then you've got something that's at least a novel. You know, worth it as a novelty. the best version of this still mm-hmm. is probably bad. So, yeah. yeah, it is what it is. You know, I mean, uh, the acting is not, not great because these aren't actors. Yeah. Uh, some of them do better than others. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you just this is kind of a pandemic lark, right? They The Foo Fighters made a movie during the pandemic. And, right. But why is it in theaters is the question. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a great question. And I mm-hmm. think, uh, uh, well, I, I, I uh, yeah, I mean, theaters are, I guess, looking for content right now. And so, um, throw this out there. And it's like staring at the sun, though. I mean, it, it's right. <laughs> fire up the. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, they're looking for something to sort of uh, kill some time, right? So you know, fire up the projectors. Uh, so yeah, my, so to put my cards on the table of my relationship with Foo Fighters, uh, I was actually, I was actually very shocked about five or six years ago to to sort of find out that we Gen Xers all just love. Foo Fighters, because to me, Foo, Foo Fighters was a band that uh, had a couple of songs that were radio hits, back, you know, 20, you know, 20, 25 years ago. Um, and then, I don't know, um, kind of went away. And I I guess they never did go away for, for certain people. No, they never um, went away. But uh, um, maybe I just stopped listening to FM radio. <laughs> oh, as a lot <laughs> you know, of people did. As though. a lot of people did, right. Uh, but when, uh, you know, uh, I... I a good friend of mine. Um, uh, who, I mean, I would who say actually saw this. Movie I would with. say they're the biggest rock and roll band in the world, hands down. If it's, I mean, really, 
I mean, it's, if it's not U2 right now, it's definitely the Foo Fighters. Okay. And U2 hasn't done anything in a well, long time. Well, that was the thing when... I, I do have a friend who is who is a fan, uh-huh. like a super fan, right? And uh, he's who I, who made me aware of this movie and I, who I saw this movie with. Um, and he told me, I guess, back in 2016 that he was going to see Foo Fighters. And I thought, oh, well, they're going to be at, what, the... the family arena and and maybe no. maybe fastball is gonna open for them right or chumba wumba right? yeah. uh but no they were at the, they're at the enterprise center you know an eighteen thousand seat venue right yeah, so they're, they're, they're they can deal. like sell out wimbley and, yeah you know, yeah I mean, they, so they... uh people uh love foo fighters uh if you uh love foo fighters uh you're th- there's a movie for you um it's called studio 666 and uh I... um the Foo Fighters. Either you, either this movie's for you or it isn't. Here's the appeal. Here's the appeal of the Foo Fighters. Yes, the the Foo, the Foo Fighters are about as hard as you can go and really maintain strong melody in music. Okay. Without it becoming like thrash. Okay. Um. Okay. There's always a strong melodic background to most Foo Fighter songs. Yeah. They might have a section where it it almost goes thrashy, but uh, or really medley, but. Uh, yeah. They have a tendency to be the riffs are very melody driven. Yeah, there's a clear melody to most Foo Fighter songs. Yeah. Okay. And and I I realize that there is a uh, uh, there's a certain craftsmanship uh, to to uh, to the music of Foo Fighters uh, that uh, that it's uh, um it's elaborate in a way that that uh, bands of their same sort of genre um is is or. or is maybe an elaborate um in in old-fashioned ways like there's several guitars playing at mm-hmm. once um it's not like elaborate in the way three guitars that are three guitarists who album. always play constantly yeah right they have three guitarists mm-hmm. there's six people in the band uh so they have three guitarists who are always playing constantly so that you know the melody uh the melodies are more complex uh you know, it's not complex, like I said, in the way that like, a Radiohead album has all, has sort of these you know complex soundscapes and everything. But uh, now, to anybody who yeah who knows the Foo Fighters, this is not news to. But I mean, obviously, to Pat Smear, who's in the Foo Fighters, mm-hmm. he was a touring member of Nirvana. Yeah, right. He was basically so, the fourth member of Nirvana. He was. Yeah, they always had him on stage when they played concerts. I mean, big concerts. Um. So yeah, if if you like Foo Fighters and you uh you want to see them being silly and splattering blood on each other and attacking each other with chainsaws. Um, you're going to like that this movie uh, that you saw this. <laughs> yeah, the gore here is pretty extreme. The gore here is aggressive. Yeah, it's it's it, it is definitely gorier than I thought it was going to be. Um, uh, uh gory in a uh a, a, a silly way, more silly yeah. way than sinister. It's got right? a cartoon edge to it. Yeah, but uh, but there's it's uh there, there's a lot of uh, there are there are buckets and buckets of various bodily sum- substances uh <laughs> sort of thrown all over uh, our our heroic band here so i think though that even like band stalwarts after a, a hundred full minutes of this yeah i, are, I think are gonna it would feel, try uh, anybody are gonna feel like they're uh um this is all a little repetitive agreed um there are whole scenes you know scenes go on too long scenes are, are kind of repeated um yeah. it's it's pretty clear that uh you know there are two credited screenwriters here and then girl gets a story by you know story by credit sure uh but there's two credited screenwriters here nonetheless it feels like uh this movie was basically improvised um you know the, and <laughs> i get that you know and degree. uh you know i think uh this explains sort of the presence of, of jeff garland you know who's big on curbing enthusiasm That's true and so uh it would be good to have you know have a really skilled improviser uh there with you 
Uh, the problem is that there's only so much heavy lifting that, uh, you know, that Jeff Garland and Whitney Cummings and, and so on can do. Um, and uh, there is nothing in the whole world worse than bad improv. Um, <laughs> I mean, not children with cancer, uh, you know, not not, not racism. I'm ta- bad improv is the worst <laughs> thing on earth. Um, and so uh, there are scenes of, of some really bad improv in this. So it makes it painful in a way that it, it should be fun and silly and, and kind of lighter. Um, uh, Dave Grohl can't act at all. Um, the problem is, which I mean, I guess n- none of them can. You know, I mean, Pat, right. no, none of them Pat can. Smear is not going to be, uh, you know, no, he's, he's for, you know. maybe worse than Dave <laughs> right. Grohl. Right. But uh, but Grohl is really uh, clearly places himself as the star of this movie. Um, and uh, he's got an interesting face, um, but he he is really mugging it up in a way that uh, yeah, uh, it's like the Kevin Smith school of acting in some ways, where it's all facial and, and yeah. sort of not. Yeah, <laughs> he's uh, he's pretty convinced that you're going to be entertained just by the sight of him of his big dumb face. Um, yeah, and uh, I mostly wasn't. I mostly wasn't either, especially the second half of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I just kind of think that this is an ill-conceived thing that kind of got snowballed away. You know, it was supposed yeah. to be something fun to do while you had some free time. Yeah, I mean, nonetheless, there was. Uh, I wasn't mad at this movie for for no, for its I wasn't. Badness. I wasn't angry. And at I this get, movie. I got to thinking about the kinds of movies that make me angry at how bad they are. Right. Uh huh. Um, and this is a movie that's bad, certainly bad enough to make me angry. But um, it's but it didn't because I guess I guess it's a, a situation of sort of like what it's trying to do. And well, low expectations. You know. I mean, that's also I was I was very helped uh, by uh, seeing this with my friend Jeff, uh, who is a Foo Fighters big Foo Fighters fan. Uh, hello to Jeff. I and I know he's at least listening to this episode, <laughs> um, and uh, and he he enjoyed it right. Um, but I think it's one of those things where you know that. Uh, you kind of lock in before you even sit down what your level of enjoyment of this movie is going to be, right? Yeah, I think <laughs> it's so. Gonna, when you hear a horror comedy starring Foo, Fight, you know, starring Foo Fighters, right? And, you know, the biggest horror in this movie is the idea of a 45-minute song to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's hell. <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, there's a... Uh, I guess I was expecting this to be a, there to be a little more music in this. Yeah, I thought there'd be a little more music in it too. Um, used as filler, you know, used yeah. as oh well, let's just see us sort of jam on this, you know, on this new song or, or something like that. But, yeah, uh, John Carpenter had the little. Uh, did you see that? I saw the, that the yes. cameo, but then he's got a co, a co score writing credit. Here. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I didn't notice that. I, I noticed. Which, his, you know, he's got the a long history of writing his own scores. That's true, including um, the iconic uh, uh, Halloween music. Yeah, but I didn't notice that feel here much. You know, one one final thing is, uh, you know, of these six uh, members of this group, um, Grohl, Taylor Hawkins, and so on, they look like your kind of standard sort of, I don't know, kind of aging, you know, rock sure. stars, right? Pat Smear looks like a retired accountant, right? He looks like he, or, or like an architect, right? He looks <laughs> like he, he's got this very sort of, gra- very grandpa sort of feel to him. Um, and... Uh, it, it sort of looked like that on, on on an MTV Unplugged with Nirvana that the, all those years ago. Well, I, I mean, this is you know, and this is a guy who is you know kind of a, you know brought a real punk edge to uh, to a lot of his bands in the the nineties, and it um, 
I don't know. It makes me smile, but also kind of sad. <laughs> how, how old we're getting, right? Yeah, I remember so. you know hearing conversations about you know the Beatles when they were young. You know when they were yeah. in their twenties, thinking, well, thirty-five. There's just no way you're going to be able to rock and roll at thirty-five. Yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, I remember you know hearing interview with Paul McCartney at you know about to turn fifty, and he's like, well, it doesn't feel bad yet. It does, yeah. You yeah. know, and now we're. You know, I think Paul's going on on tour this summer, and uh, yeah, he's eighty some odd. So. Yeah, I mean, as long as the Rolling Stones are still kicking around, there's no, uh, <laughs> there's there's going to be a precedent for you know rocking until you literally have to be carried away. I always love that. Uh, you know, there's uh, that moment in uh, my one of my favorite movies, uh, Almost Famous, when mm. J- Jimmy Fallon's giving a yeah a financial advice to the band, and he says, "If you think." Uh, yeah, uh, Mick Jagger's going to be, sh- you know, dancing around when he's 50 years old. You got to yeah, anything <laughs> coming. Right. Well. <laughs> yeah. And of course. Things have not turned out like that, but uh, I can see why they thought that at the time. Yeah. So I, um, I, I would recommend this only to the biggest of fans. And yeah. even, even I think most of those big fans are going to come away thinking, okay, that was sort of a lark, but man, did it go on too long. Yeah. I mean, it makes you smile, but then after a hundred minutes. Uh, your face is kind of hurts from smiling. Right? <laughs> you know, uh-huh. <laughs> kind of cr- your face is kind of cramping. Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's uh, that's Studio Six Six Six. It caused face cramps. All right. Well, that's going to be our review of Studio Six Six Six. We're going to take a quick break and be right back after this. And we are back on Cinema Spin. The Randomizer has so graciously chosen for us the film Red Heat from 1988. Red Heat was directed by Walter Hill, who had found previous success in films like 48 Hours, Brewster's Millions, and The Warriors way back when. Right. We watched The Warriors on we this did. very podcast. The movie stars a career peak Arnold Schwarzenegger as Captain Ivan Danko, a Soviet police officer sent to America to extradite a Russian drug fugitive. He is soon paired up with Chicago cop Art Ridzik, Played by Jim Belushi, Ridzik is a walk is a walking movie cop stereotype, <laughs> as he is good at his job but does not like to play by the rules. Oh yeah, and he hates paperwork. Oh. Don't get him started oh, on how God. much he hates paperwork, <laughs> or he'll talk about it the whole movie long, and he does. Predictably, this simple extradition fails to go simply as the Russian kingpin escapes and goes on the run. It's at this point that our odd couple of cop buddies must find some common ground so they can work together and bring their fugitive to justice. I would go a bit further here into the plot, but there is not one single thing in this whole movie that does not have a th- we've seen a thousand times before. Car chases, yep. Uncomfortable banter between the two leads, check. And even an irate, irate police commander to boot. All this goes down in the least convincing film version of Chicago ever concocted. <laughs> It's clearly L.A. with a bare minimum of second unit, unit establishing shots of Chicago streetscapes thrown in. Just make sure that most of the cars have Illinois license plates and they're done. There's even at, least, a, <laughs> at no point is there a uh, palm tree in the background. That's no, it's not quite that Although bad. you said that at one point the, the Cecil Hotel is in the Yeah, twice it's in it. Oh, is it? Okay. Well, we'll come back to that. There's even a shot of the two cops driving on a bridge across the L.A. River, the Los Angeles <laughs> skyline clearly visible behind them. Right, yes. Ugh, how was your repeat viewing of Red Heat? Uh, no, I'd never seen this movie. Before. Really? I, yeah. I, I I saw this in 88. You yeah. Know. I mean, I'd never seen it before, but 
it felt like I'd seen it before. Well, I, I, I'm <laughs> you know damn sure, sure that's true. So this movie, so it kicks off in 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 Russia, right? Um, with a fight between Arnold uh, Schwarzenegger and another naked muscle man uh, outside of a, a bathhouse, you know, when he has, a, has to bust him. Anyway, they're both in their skivvies out in the snow uh, fighting, right? Uh, a scene later, uh, he he shakes down this guy who turns out to have a fake leg, right? Um, in two, you know, these scenes are, uh, they're both uh, okay, you know? Yeah. Um, enjoy it, man, because <laughs> when they're gone... You're going to miss them. And there's no getting them back because here come the cliches, right? The police cast captain needs bypass surgery. Uh, you know, uh, the detective ogles hookers, right? And can't stop talking about his dick. Um, and uh, how, how do Russians deal with the stress? Vodka. Right. That's that's this, this movie's idea. Of, you could uh, write this movie yourself. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. This movie did, I think, write itself. I think it did. <laughs> like some early, some early... Uh, you know, uh, computer program uh, on a Macintosh, right? So yeah, uh, Walter Hill uh, is the 1982 movie 48 Hours basically invented the buddy cop genre, um, and he just very lazily recycles uh, that movie's formula here uh, without any hints of extra flavor or originality. Unfortunately, Belushi, James Belushi, is no Eddie Murphy, and Arnold here doesn't even get to be himself. He had more acting opportunities in Conan the Barbarian. He's just yeah, he's- our straight man. The women in this movie exist to say things like, I don't have to take this shit and I'm out of here. I've had it. I've had it with this macho stuff. Take me with you, sister. I have, I have a disdain for Jim Belushi. Yes. And I always have. Okay. Is he only famous because his brother died? Um, Maybe it was it's, was the, was the public think, like was it's the, tough to think of the salad days of Jim Belushi. Was the public career. like okay? We really sort of revered Jim Belushi. He died kind of tragic, you know, obviously self imposed yeah. circumstances. John, yeah, but you know, we miss him. What else you got? And the Belushi family is like, we well, got Jim. Yeah, is he as talented and charismatic as his brother? No, no way, <laughs> right? But he'll always sort of remind you that John Belushi was once a That's thing. That's right. We'll take him. <laughs> it's a good thing we had Jim because the third stringer was like Chet Belushi, and I don't think you even want to see what he. <laughs> Chet Belushi, the third, the third good, the third best Belushi brother. I don't think we want to see that. Yeah, I mean Belushi. Uh, I, I I don't know. Uh, I, at least he has the, the the good taste to look miserable throughout this whole movie. I mean, he, <laughs> he realizes how bad this movie is. Uh, he know he realizes that. All of his jokes are about his dick. Um, uh, yeah. Then again, he could have brought something to the table. I mean, you know, um, uh, you know, Eddie Murphy's character in Forty Eight Hours. I hate to do, you know, I hate to compare the two, but there it is, right? I mean, the same formula, and he's he's supposed to be the comic relief here. Um, and Eddie Murphy in Forty Eight Hours was able to sort of shine his way through that that pretty uh, awful material. Um, and you know Jim Belushi just doesn't really bring anything to the table. Doesn't he's he not, he's not, It's because he's not a talented person. Yeah, I mean, I hate to say it, but it, it just to me, he never has been. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, in a sitcom, I've seen it. You know, him be a little more passable because it's that formula is just yeah, so easy to pull off if you're an actor. Yeah. Um, this is just ugh, dreadful from the start to, start to finish. It, it just. I don't know. I, I just didn't <laughs> didn't care for it. Uh, this, I mean, this movie's idea of a big laugh line, you know, is at one point um, 
Belushi tells the Schwarzenegger character, you look like Gumby. Um, which is framed as though they're going to have to pause to give the audience a second to compose, recompose themselves, right? Because everybody's just going to be laughing that we mentioned Gumby, right? Well, but they called back to it several times. But I don't. He, it doesn't make any sense. He doesn't look like Gumby. <laughs> no, I know. It, it, well, because Gumby's Gumby's tall? just a fun word, I, I guess. It, what it does tall. is it invites us to think of Eddie Murphy again, right? <laughs> and Gumby, we damn they, it. They don't, be, they don't want us to be thinking too much about Eddie Murphy in this movie. No, something that happened in this movie that I, I thought was just you know made me laugh. There's a scene when I, Arnold and. Uh, and Jim Belushi are coming out of an office and they see the person they're looking for starting to run away. Mm-hmm. And Jim Belushi looks at him and yells, Hey, <laughs> which startles the person and makes uh-huh. him start to run. Uh-huh. That's not a good way to catch somebody. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I don't think there's a lot of hey! like, great police work going on in this movie. There isn't. Um, so they have an, a conversation about a And there's a sort of running joke about a parakeet in this movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, that, uh, what's wrong with parakeet? What is wrong with, par- uh, you know, that scene works and it's like, if that scene can work, if whatever you're doing with the chemistry here is able to work in that scene, you could have, can't you like tease out uh, the rest of the movie from there? Uh, cause it seems in that scene, like these, like both of these actors are kind of on the same, kind of, kind of, the writing in, is on to something. There. Yeah. It's onto something, something that could there. work. Right. Yeah. The, yeah uh, and there's chemistry between them in that scene, um, that is totally lacking anywhere else. So I just wonder um, I wonder if that was an early a scene that was shot early in the production, yeah. and they still believe because that's really they the believe in this. The project only time when they late. lean into the, yeah. the they're like real the differences as men, you know. Uh huh. Yeah. How he's this macho, stereotypical cop, right? And he's you know he can he's this obviously iron looking fellow who's gigantic, uh-huh. but he's got this you know he doesn't right. see anything feminine about having a bird, right. even <laughs> though he's self sort of self conscious about yeah, just like Mickey Rourke in Iron Man. My bird. <laughs> My bird. Russian people and their birds. What's up with that? Russians and their birds. <laughs> Actually, and this bear this this is worth pointing out this week especially. He's not Russian. He's actually Ukrainian. He says he's from oh, Kiev. That's true. And he, right. And of course he's he also corrects and says he's Soviet. Yeah, well, and Soviet. Right. Which yeah. Right. So and let go Ukraine. So uh there uh there's there's one scene in the climax of this movie. Okay. Cause all uh, this is one of those movies where where it's, uh, the the confrontations between the good between the uh, the good Russian and the bad Russian they just keep having these confrontations and these sort of uh, you know hissing at, threats at each other uh, scenes where nothing is really established nothing really happens there's nothing uh-huh. really at stake you realize oh this movie isn't at the ninety minute mark yet so they can't kill each other yet <laughs> right um, and so uh, there there are several scenes like that. Um, so at, at the end, when it's time for a sort of final confrontation, the, uh, bad Russian steals a, uh, a a bus, a city bus, right? And, uh, uh, Schwarzenegger's Ukrainian of does the only, he responds in the only way you can by stealing another city (laughs) bus, right? Um, and, uh, I'm thinking, okay, now I'm going to maybe see something. That I haven't seen before. I, now, thought, <laughs> I thought this movie is going to have a cool car chase. It's going to kind of save it a little bit. City buses, yes. No. And let me tell you the problem. 
they they had a budget for exactly two buses <laughs> because you expect okay well now what we're gonna see is we're gonna see these buses like driving down the road and like slamming into each other there is no bus on bus action at all right they sort of can't take chances with no the bus. and in fact i was i said i said to my wife as i was watching this we were watching this i said is there only one bus, one actual bus Ooh. in this movie? But no, then they totally destroy two buses. Okay. Right. You're right. But they do. Uh, yes. Uh, but it did get, yeah, that that scene got me thinking about uh, playing Grand Theft Auto and uh, how, you know, in collecting the the badges for that, you have to get uh, five, you have to get all the police in the city after you. And the best way to do that is to steal a city bus and just drive, just drive <laughs> right, over right. anything that gets in your way. There's a street they use in this this with the United Artists Theater in the background. Oh yeah, that's that that whole street is recreated in Grand Theft Auto. It's like, oh yeah, it's like the slum area in that uh, in the theater that uh, that Michael can buy in that in the game. He can buy the theater. Oh oh okay yeah, and, and, that, and that's that yeah, theater right. So so which scene is the Cecil Hotel in? It's in um, when the villains very first show up in the uh, in New- in Chicago, mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, it's like fif- almost exactly like fifteen minutes in. Mm-hmm. It's the scene when they tear the hundred dollar bill in half. Oh, okay. That's a, okay. Th- at that time, the Cecil Hotel had a uh, like a yellow cheesy facade mm-hmm. on it, mm-hmm. like very eighties. Uh-huh. It lit up, I guess, and it says Hotel Cecil. Oh, yeah. Clearly, is you know you can see it. Yeah. The Rotten Tomatoes for uh, Red Heat is sort of interesting. Critic score is 65% on Red Heat. Uh, audience score, 37%. Yeah. That's weird. Well, the audience, yeah, that's one case where the audience is, <laughs> is, knows what they're doing more than the uh, Normally, this uh, type of movie, critics. you know, you'd think the audience would be more likely to go for it than critics. To me, it yeah. seems like that'd be the norm. Right, yeah. But this one kind of <laughs> flaunts convention in that way. Yeah. You know, there's there's a lot of hand-wringing in our current sort of movie climate mm-hmm. about um, how mainstream movies have just been taken over by superheroes. Uh-huh. You know, how you can't get, you know, can't make mainstream movies anymore uh, that don't have, you know, guys in tights and everything, right? Um, and to that argument, I always, especially with regard to the, the MCU, I always tell, you know, tell people or want to tell people that, well, go back to any earlier era and look at most of the commercial movies that were made for that era. Is that what you miss? You want to go back to an era where they're churning out movies like Red Heat, you know, uh, movie after movie after movie, like uh, you know, following that same 48 hours formula. Because, you know, the difference, the, the question is not, you know, whether we need a new Captain America movie or Gone with the Wind. You know, right. Exactly, uh, you, know, uh, 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 you know, Schindler's List. The question is whether or not we're going to get, um, you know, is what kind of commercial movie we're going to get. Right. Um, and uh, I think, and I don't think commercial movies have ever been very good. And I think the people complaining about them loudest in the MCU era are the sorts of people who never like commercial movies. I think it's become a little bit of a problem in certain aspects that uh, now, granted, a lot of these movies are um, not great all the time, but the higher budget film that's uh, that's targeted towards adult audiences mm-hmm. only. Yeah kind of doesn't exist anymore yeah you know i i was watching something and the the example they used was like a movie like how much like bonfire the vanities cost and that's and of course that's a huge flop yes 
and um, but it was a hugely budgeted film. Yeah, you know, and th- that kind of film would never and Bonfire of the Vanities is probably part of the reason. Yeah, why that that kind of film doesn't get greenlit anymore. But what about like an Apollo thirteen? Does a movie like that get made today, or Titanic, or Titan Titanic? What the hell's <laughs> Titan- wrong? <laughs> well, <laughs> too many syllables in there. Yeah, I mean those those movies are different because Titanic is cl- clearly uh, aimed at um, it has a target demographic uh, that is not entirely adult. Uh, you know, <laughs> um, touche. Uh, and I'm I'm I've been you know I'm I'm a defender of of, of that movie in, in some ways, but you know that that movie was always going to appeal primarily to uh, t- to uh, young ladies, right? Um, who or that was those were going to be the people who would see it over and over again, right? Um, and Titanic aficionados. Yeah. Well, yeah, right. Um, so, uh, I mean, Apollo 13, I mean, has a certain, that's a good, that's, that's a good example of a movie that maybe doesn't get made anymore. But then just a few years ago, there was a, uh, there, there was a movie about, uh, there was a major release about, uh, the, the space program. Um, I think, I think, you know, those movies. Yeah, the, uh, the, the, um, the Neil Armstrong movie, right? Yeah. Um, First man. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Arguably. Uh, you know, uh, there was a time when there was uh, commercial trash just for adults. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think this was an era, that, an era of that, right? Where we could have this movie's got to be rated R, doesn't it? Right. Um. So there, there oh, was, yeah, yeah the, the, the beginning. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Right. Uh. So the so the you know arguably there was a time when uh, grown people uh, were. Uh, you know they were getting bilked for <laughs> by a movie like uh, uh, like Red Heat, but uh, I mean, is that what we want? Is we want to return to a time when uh, when there's also uh, you know commercial pap for uh, uh, for you know that uh, flashes some some breasts once in a while? Yeah, that's that's an, that's a good point. Um, it'll be interesting to see how something as groundbreaking as like the technique they used to make the Mandalorian that going forward. Mm-hmm how that's going to change movies because if that, Mm. if that technology becomes readily available to any studio at any time, that's going to revolutionize films. Yeah. You won't need actors anymore. Well, you need actors. You're not going to need sets of any kind. Yeah. It's like uh, blue screen, but it fools the eye, you know? Yeah. I I think that's, that's the most exciting thing in in, in movie filmmaking because, because when, when that becomes affordable enough for like, indie people to be able to make movies like that mm-hmm. that means that indie movies don't have to take place don't have to be you know two people talking in a room for two hours anymore yeah it's going to open the door to some creativity i think and it might open the door to some t- true mo- you know monstrosities of filmmaking yeah but no that that's that's the risk you take yeah so. i think yeah I, um I, I think there are a lot of people who have a you know of our age who uh have a certain uh have a nostalgia certainly for the the eighties and the nineties, and they remember you know they remember movie, you know original movies like uh, you know uh, like uh, Back to the Future or Ghostbusters, but you know and say well where are those movies these days? It's all guys you know it's all Thanos and guys in tights, right? Um, but um, yeah, you it's easy to remember a couple of the the really big hits of the the eighties and nineties and forget how just what a nonstop stream of of really awful movies like uh like Re- uh, red heat um were there to to sort of try to squeeze out some uh, uh, a little bit of money from uh, yeah i mean a lot of the good examples you can think of big money being spent on things that aren't necessarily 
you know would definitely not be spent now are usually bad movies you know the water worlds yeah cutthroat island yeah you know things that really cost a lot of money cutthroat island that ran the, uh, the studio that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that was that it carol co or something carol like that? Co, yeah and that was this studio right yeah uh-huh. red yeah heat. red heat yeah ran <laughs> that's ran, right red heat out of right. business right um <laughs> yeah so i mean that type of movie is, is probably not being made anymore but you know what are we really missing i guess yeah anyway that's uh my sort of tangent about no I, I i think that's it's a fair point I, I think that you know studios are green lighting a lot of that type of stuff because that's where the money is and and it's it's easy to see that some audience is going to be there it's hard yeah it's yeah hard you to have to lose audience. money in that genre right now exactly probably. right um and and if you're going to pay 200 million dollars for a movie you want to know exactly who's going to watch it right? yeah <laughs> yeah um and and Right now, the comic book movies have a really make a really strong argument that uh, of who their audience is. All right, well that's Red Heat. Okay, and Red Heat is you know um, is Red Heat a worse movie than Studio Six Six Six? I don't know, but uh, Red Heat is the kind of bad that makes me angry. Right? <laughs> and it, it doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. For, it has zero Foo Fighters in it. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> or any rock Needs rock musicians more, that, send more Foo Fighters that I know of uh, at all. Right. So, um, okay. So next week, we know that we're doing Batman yes. for sure. Excuse me, the Batman, because the DC Batman. is now all about the definite articles, right? That's the true. Suicide Squad, the Batman. That's right. And they did. They've done Batman before. Now right. This is the Batman. So we're doing Batman, and we're going to find a random movie to pair up with it right now. Okay. I can't wait. Sounds so triumphant. Okay. Well, this is certainly topical, but it does prove that our randomization is random. Uh, what's better than a Home for the Holidays movie? Uh, Home for the Holidays from oh, oh. 1995. Okay. Yes. Just in time for... Holly uh, Hunter, maybe? Yes. And Robert Downey Jr. Never seen a minute of it. Okay. Yes. Just in time for the holidays. Yeah. Just in time for the holidays. Right. So, uh, but hey, that's uh, that's the nature of randomization. So. That's right. Uh, we take what they send. So what? So uh, join us the for God sends. Yes, go on. The Batman. The Batman, as well as Home for the Holidays. Which, if that's not a pair made in heaven, I don't know what. Yeah, it is. right. I think that's a natural uh, sort of <laughs> combination. Yeah. So that'll be the show next week. Uh, join us then, and uh, good night for now. <laughs> good, good night.